BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. And welcome to another edition of Turn Out of Punk Footnotes. I am one of your hosts, Damien Abraham, and as he was known on the internet in the 90s, Misfit Fan 138, Chris O'Toole <laughs> is your co-host, as always. Chris, how you doing, bud? <laughs> Good. What an introduction. Oh. I was thinking about that uh, when we were talking about the Misfits off-air before the show. I'm like... I'm like, I, I, wonder, I wonder if Chris was excited about all the footage of the Misfits reunion, and then I was remembered. Oh yeah, you are not the biggest fan. <laughs> I feel like uh, this is being made a bigger deal than it is, but sure, I will accept that. Fine. Although I would like the to- Misfits are your Fugazi. <laughs> Fair enough. Yes, for people that listen to the show, that makes complete sense. Yes. <laughs> yes. If it's your first time listening, yeah, that you'd makes have no, no sense idea whatsoever. what we're talking about. But yeah, that that is apt. Yeah. Correct. Um, but anyway, Chris, how are you doing? Good, man. Uh, you know, busy. Holiday was nice. A little long weekend. That was good. Just came off that. I saw you were doing your C&E uh, uh, travels or whatever you want to say. Yeah, I went to, uh, I went to the CNE, the Canadian National Expo- Exhibition, when I got back from Colorado, where I went to Riot Fest. <laughs> and I, when everyone was going to go see the Misfits, was flying back to Toronto because I, uh, I, I had actually want, really wanted to see them, but I had uh, thought they'd be playing on the Saturday, and booked my flight home for the Sunday morning, and thus missed the Misfits. Ooh! But I did get to see a lot of other cool shit. Like I really, I had an amazing time. Like I had a really, I had like one of the most fun times I think I've had at a festival in years. Well, the funny thing you mentioned about that is like, even I have to admit, like it's, we kind of all, I joke about it, I guess, or you to a degree as well, but like I would have wanted to watch the Misfits, you know what I mean? Oh yeah, me too. Yeah, definitely. Even I would have like done that. And it's not to say like, again, I actually had, the reason why I'm laughing is because even on the weekend I had somebody basically do what you just did off the intro of the show to me and it's like the idea is like people think I like hate this band, but it's not the case actually. (laughs) But anyway, so, uh, yeah, even I would have witnessed the spectacle just to see how it went. And I did see footage, and it seemed fine, actually. So, you know, kudos. Yeah, like, I I thought it looked amazing. Like, I, you know, I'm not a big, like, big concert kind of person. Um, But, like, the footage I saw, I was like, (laughs) that is, 
kind of like the ideal. Like that was the dream. Like I remember sitting in the back of the stadium watching Metallica on the Soundwave tour that we did with them. Believe me, we, we were on a different stage at a different time. <laughs> um, but I was like watching them being like, who could be the one like punk hardcore band that could kind of do this same thing? And it's like, oh, the Misfits. Yeah, well, I, like the I will say, as as cynical as I am, or we are collectively, even I was very amused at the um, uh, the the amount people were like going crazy about that, and I, I thought it was kind of cool. Like for everyone that really it's their thing, it was cool to see them happy about it. So that's fine. I can accept that. Yeah, like absolutely. There are people like you know, like Fred Armisen. Like that dude's excitement level yeah. was through the roof. Like I, he was just beside himself with anticipation, but that's because that's like his band. Yeah. Which again, it's, it's, I always find it funny thinking of the associations that certain people have with certain groups. Like I would have never thought that he would have been a fan of that group before realizing he was in punk and bands and whatever. So it makes sense now, but I wouldn't have ever thought that initially. Yeah. Like I, I, you know, you think Bruce McCullough, when you think uh, someone that would have been a fan of the misfits after the character in brain candy (laughs) that he played. (laughs) <laughs> yes, totally. Exactly. You know, well said. Hundred percent. That's the Danzig. That's going to be another reference that half the audience does not get either. But well, if you don't get a brain candy reference, like fuck a podcast reference to this show. But if you don't get a brain candy <laughs> reference, that's your failing because that might be the greatest <laughs> comedy this country ever produced. Yes, agreed. I just meant My. age age wise. I think people might have missed. Yeah, that. but that's true. Well, hopefully Bruce will one day be a future guest on the show. He has said he'll be on the show, so hopefully one day. Well, you got one of them. You got one. I got one. I got one. I got one kid in the hall at this point, but I need some more kids. So (laughs) if if you're in touch with Kevin McDonald or Bruce McCullough or any one of them that also uh, used to be into punk or still is into punk, send them this way. Send them in this wood chipper we call the uh, turned out of punk. Yes. Universe. And a quick note, it's episode 57 for people who don't know what we're talking about. Scott Thompson is yeah. the interview, and it's excellent. Go listen to it. Anyway. Yeah, and, and, and you know what? It also segues into the intro for this show, which is this week we're going to be talking about the David Cross episode, another one in the increasing list of comedians that have some sort of root in punk rock that we've had on the yeah, show. Yeah, and you've done uh, – well, I mean, you, you've – this is a tremendous guest for me. So I was I was very happy to listen to the interview, and it was as good as I expected. But yeah, you've been on a roll, man, with getting these uh, these figures. Yeah, like I don't know. I think I think uh, you know it's thanks to everyone you know being into this podcast and and helping spread the word of it, and just kind of people finding out about it and being, you know, like I, I think you know willing to to talk and and share stuff. And yeah, like this one for me was a big one too because you know I've met. I, you know, I've met this guy a lot of times now. It never stops being one of those things where I'm like, holy shit, I'm talking to Ronnie Dobbs on the fucking <laughs> phone. <laughs> he was riffing pretty good right off the beginning, too, which I thought was funny. Yeah, I'm like, is he going to just like riff on me the whole time? Is this going to be like the comedian version of the, uh, of the Jay Maskus interview? <laughs> That would be interesting. Were you have you been around both of them ever? At the same time? Yeah, yeah. God no, no. No, that I've would only be interesting. I like the first time I met David, he was uh coming out of a out of a like um 
It was at the adult swim party that we played years ago where we had a food fight. It was like on the tour with Punch in the Face and 14 or Fight, like on our first U.S. tour. And he was like coming out of the knitting factory as I was going in. And I'm like, oh, my God, David Cross. And I think Sandy took a photo of me with him. And he was wasted. <laughs> and then, uh, you know, then I met him again at South by Southwest. And then I, I, maybe one more time. And then I hit him up to be on a fucked up record and he couldn't do it. And then I hit him up to be on the, uh, do they know it's Christmas thing that we did. And he was like, sure. And he was the first guy that agreed to do it. And I had to figure out how to use the recorder in his hotel room. <laughs> <laughs> Cause it was me recording it. Like the, the least musically proficient member of fucked up, but he was super cool about that. And then, yeah, I think we've run into each other a couple more times, but having him on the show was still like, you know, an awesome thrill. And it got to finally, finally, talk about that rupaul clip yeah which is nuts that was cool that he elaborated on that because i had you had told me about it a few times but i'd never really taken a look at it until recently yeah and if you haven't checked out that clip yet it's all on youtube if you search uh or just google david cross and rupaul it'll come up and i think we have probably a link posted on the facebook by now or, or somewhere yeah i believe so yeah um but that video it's 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 an amazing moment because they're in Atlanta in as it, David kind of describes it. You got this like not very conducive scene to being an outsider, um, and then you have you know two people that really changed the one changed the face of comedy, one changed the face of just you know people's perception of sexuality and things like that. And and yeah, like it was uh, it was awesome. It was uh, it's a very cool clip, and I strongly recommend you watching it. Why is my Google software trying to update now? No, later. <laughs> I don't know. Weird. <laughs> anyway. Anyway. So what uh, sort of sidebarring off your the David Cross sort of intro here, um, what was the stuff that you saw particularly that stood out at your uh, weekend adventure? Oh, my gosh, Chris. We are going to make this a real long episode. Uh, <laughs> I think uh, Suicidal Tendencies was incredible. Like, uh, they've got a new lineup and I don't know, it was, it was awesome. Like the, it, it sounded amazing. No effects played in this really kind of awkward. It almost looked like they were playing like in a, in a bull ring, you know, like you'd see fo footage of bands playing in bull rings in Spain sometimes. Um, like it was just a stage in the middle of like a horse parade thing at this, uh, Western convention space type thing just outside of Denver. And, uh, you know, they, a lot of bands got swallowed up by that stage. I know I would have had a problem playing on that stage just because of the weird setup of the room, but no effects just dominated it. And, you know, say what you will about that band, because like, I know people have definitely mixed opinions about them and mixed feelings about them. I, even at times I have mixed feelings about them, but at the same time, like they were fucking incredible that night. It was cool. one of the best times I've ever seen them. And Chris, they played drugs are good. Their best song. <laughs> I don't know if I would say it's their best song, but I love that it's your favorite song by them. Yes. I think that's one of my favorite riffs. That down, 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 down. <laughs> down left, don't More importantly, base. that is the B-side to the whole effects 12 inch. Mm -hmm. Am I correct there? You are. Do you have a copy of that? Yes, which I own, so Ooh. I can humble brag, and you don't own, I don't no, think. No, but you do not. I, I, I cannot believe it. You, you have the... No, you've got you've got other shit I don't have that I want, Chris. But that is the <laughs> Not one. Not much. <laughs> no, there's a lot. Believe me, believe me. Oh, trust me, I'm coveting after them. Uh, for, the list, for the for the listeners, there's a lot more that goes the other way. That's all I'm saying. 
<laughs> but still, that record to me is like, I remember looking at that at HMV, and I didn't buy it. The one at Young and Dundas, way back, way back when it was probably coming out. And sure enough, I think Mike bought that copy. Mike from Fucked Up, because he says he bought his copy at HMV. And then he traded it for some violent children bootlegs. Wow. Like a sucker. <laughs> well, I mean, if if you love the bootlegs, then it worked out. But yeah, I think you said that's worth a fair amount. So I think it's a big money record now. Uh, that's what I hope. <laughs> you know, do you know who no effects that decline on clear is like a thousand plus dollar record at this point? Yeah, we've we I think we've touched on some of this before. I think that's insane because I've I was able to. Well, you would have obviously been able to buy this too, or you haven't maybe, but. I, you know, I had plenty of, I was working in stores that were like, were carrying that stuff and I could have easily got all of it and I just <laughs> didn't. So I lose now in hindsight. Yeah. Like I don't have that either. Um, believe me, I would love a copy of that. I, I met, I met the people from fat records, um, and they, this weekend and they were super, super cool. They're going to send me my fat rejection leather. <laughs> Which like the, from fucked up or to you for fucked up. Oh, they have it. Yeah, well, they have this. They have like rejection letters, and so they're going to finally send me mine. Cool. Well, <laughs> yes. so, so is it like that whole idea of like you finding the proof of it? It's did that set this in motion? Yeah, yeah. Well, they were like they didn't know that it was kind of a denied thing. Uh, you know, at, at Fat Records, they're like, "Oh, weird. Yeah, we have a file folder full of old ones that I'll send you." What? <laughs> Amazing. Yeah, I know. I'm fine. I'm going to be able to frame it. And uh, put it up there and stuff. Yeah, they gave us like they. Thank you guys. They they said they listen to this podcast, so very much appreciated. Cool. Uh, and so yeah, I'm going to frame that letter, and I'm going to be going to put it right up there beside my high school diploma. <laughs> Excellent choice. Yes. I, actually, I don't have my high school diploma framed. I'll put it right up there beside my. Autograph picture of wrestler Taylor Wilde <laughs> works works uh, in the same regard. Yeah, exactly. It's you know it's it's just a it's a wall of great achievements. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> but Chris, we can talk about Riot Fest all day. There's a lot of other stories I'd love to share, um, but uh, I think we got to move on to the show. But, yeah. Uh, but before we do, though, to extend this thing a little longer, how was Guitar Wolf last night, Chris? They were good. I mean, I. Unfortunately, I have never seen them up until this point, so mm. I don't have a comparative experience, say, from like even a decade ago, unfortunately. But uh, they still held up pretty well, I thought. Um, played a fairly lengthy set, which is my only objection, but it's not a major objection. I don't know, is it your experience that you, like the, the Japanese groups that you've seen tend to play longer sets? Well, I don't know. Like my only time seeing Guitar Wolf was I saw them the first time they played Toronto when they opened for the Cramps. Yeah. Um, and then I saw them at Matador 21. Maybe I saw them at the Elma Combo, but I don't have very, I don't have a lot of memories from that show. But when I saw them at the other two things, they had like a really short, not short set, but like, you know, they were like kind of, One's an opener slot and one was a festival slot, so they were kind of yeah. kind of shorter. Um, I don't know, like the only other Japanese bands I've gotten to see live are like Forward, Warhead, who played a little long. Yeah, uh, I've seen and, both, and I think both played long. I mean, they're both fine, but I just yeah, they've played long, like comparatively to like a, whatever a contemporary, like you know, band over here tends to play shorter. I've I've found. Yeah, but. yeah you're right. You're right. Maybe it's like a. Well, it's like an expectation of set length, right? Like when you're in Europe 
and you don't play enough songs, people are pissed off, right? And so maybe it's maybe it's the same in Japan, but like yeah. people aren't as vocal about it. That and, was more or less my question, like from your experience, yeah. if you ever noticed that or something. But anyway, uh, but yeah, so they, they played a little long, but they were, I mean, it was good. They played like things you wanted to hear, so it was all in there. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, it was a, whatever, it was a midweek show, so it was a little uh, theoretically under-attended, but it's at the Horseshoe, which is my favorite venue in Toronto. So, yep. uh, yeah, that was cool. It's yeah, weird. Was- like, I didn't hear about that show because I would have made plans if I'd known, like, until you were like, oh, I got to go to the show tonight or I'm yeah. going to the show tonight. I was like, I had no idea they were playing. A lot of people seem to be sort of uh, mentioning that to me. So I don't know. I don't, you know, I don't want to speak ill of anyone who was promoting anything. But, yeah, it seemed to be for whatever reason that a lot of people didn't know. So- yeah, like, I don't think it has to do with the promotion. I think it's more just the fact that we live in a world now where just so much happens that this stuff can fall through the cracks. Somehow. That is true. That is true. That is. I I committed to memory months out because I, I again I missed yeah. them. I don't know when Jet Generation came out. I remember they came to Toronto. I can't remember where they played. I missed them then. Apparently they came a few like a few years ago, and I missed them then too. I didn't realize they came that time. But uh, so anyway. on that reunion run for Matador Twenty One, I guess I don't know. Like a friend of mine saw them in twenty thirteen here and uh, well in Toronto, and then he he had mentioned that to me last night. I, I ran into him at the show, so I wasn't aware they had come in the last decade so i was sort of shocked to hear that but i thought i just missed out my chance so i didn't think i'd get another so i wanted to make sure yeah to make this time yeah but yeah they were great i mean they're a great band fun you know people are into it you know sort of uh you know that whole like overdriven sort of ramonesy sort of whatever it's great it's Love funny it. it's funny to think that there was that moment where like wild zero was out they had the record on matador it yeah i felt like they were gonna like like, you know, maybe blow up, <laughs> I don't know, maybe blow up, but like, it was just a little too early for like the full on garage rock revival. Yeah. Agreed. Um, yeah, they, it, they did. Well, I mean, they're much older than that, but yeah, you're right. When they were kind of breaking here, it was still yeah. before that whole thing. Uh, when, when, did they, when did they start? Like the mid nineties? Apparently they started in the late eighties. That's what I was reading. Cause I, I didn't realize how old they were either. I know that I think by the time anyone here was hearing them, I mean, that I remember was like, yeah, like the early mid nineties or whatever, like that whole, the goner putting out the first yeah. record. But apparently they believe that was originally released in 87, I think in Japan. So I don't know really. Holy shit. Let's go to the yeah. discogs, Chris. <laughs> might as well. There, there you go. Might as well. Yeah. We might as well. <laughs> 91 the demo is from 91 the guitar wolf so they maybe they were a band since 87 or something but either way yeah it says recorded during the late 80s to 1991 for their for their first demo tape um which is wow i had no idea but i guess it's like that's kind of the thing i've heard about you know once again my experience with japanese hardcore is is very limited other than being a huge fan of it but you know from people i know that are a little more involved in the scene actually is participating in it touring with bands like stuff it you know there's like a long apprenticeship program that you kind of go through as a band before you're kind of like ready to put out a record in in some parts of the scene yeah it seems as if i mean just the idea that they were maybe a band since about 87 and the first record came out here in 93 it's kind of wild yeah like what band has like a like what punk band here has like nothing for six years kind of yeah that's, that's sort of insane you rarely hear of that here yeah like especially now <laughs> like especially oh, now. totally yeah it, it, six years that's like that's the lifespan of like 12 people's projects like all yeah. like one after the next yeah but yeah, yeah i don't know anyway cool to, cool group i just was very happy to see them. I like this kind of stuff. So I was very, uh, 
wouldn't really have mattered even if they were terrible. I would have been happy, but they were good. Yeah, and I think their first three like singles are you know hold up as some of my favorites. Yeah, agreed. Let's... And I, I mean, again, I really like like the record for me that sort of is the perfect record of that band is that Jet Generation record from '99, and they played some of that, which was excellent. So yeah, it was good. I mean, obviously they had uh, their bass player passed. Uh, bass Wolf. Yeah, bass Wolf passed. I can't remember how long ago now, but so they had a, a new bass player. But I mean, it was it was still excellent. Oh, that's awesome. Well, that's uh, you know that's uh, one of those bands that if you haven't had a chance to see them, be like Chris and plan it out. Yeah, you got to. I mean, I missed a few. There's there's a few I know I won't get likely the chance, although they have played recently. But the Mummies are another that I never got yeah. to see. Yeah. And if I ever get the chance, I will. Well, I could have flown to whatever L.A. They played somewhere out west, I think, within the last year, but I couldn't afford to go out there. I sat, I sat so much of that garage rock stuff out that first time around that, yeah, yeah, there's a lot of bands like that that I'm like, God damn, I wish I got to see them. Yeah, see, like those are reunions. If if that, that those are the kind of reunions that I'd be very excited about. Not yeah. to so like oh know, like the Deadly Snakes even like I I saw the Deadly yeah, Snakes, but yeah. I I didn't like them back then. Now I would fucking. <laughs> Oh my god, would I lose it if I saw him? <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> but anyway, we're digressing here. This is a long intro. It's a very so long we intro. A, we have a news tidbit to mention that I think you wanted to mention off the top, right? Well, I think we both wanted to mention it, Chris, okay. because okay. you know, the, not that we're you know, on this podcast we've been very fortunate and people have written us up before, and which is very appreciated appreciated. But this time they finally made reference to the anchor of this show <laughs> yourself. Chris O'Toole. Yeah, I've made it. I've made it officially. You have made it, my friend. So yeah, this is the cbc.ca on their podcast playlist with Matt Galloway and Lindsay Michael. They have picked and uh, a list of the six best Canadian music podcasts. I don't know if that's actually what they said, but I'm going to say it's what they said. Um, no, seven. They picked seven. I apologize. And so, you know, like uh, friends are on here and some great podcasts are on here. But right there at number two. <laughs> you're me, buddy. Yeah, well, I, I believe you, you should be taking more credit than me, but I was amused that it was mentioned because I thought like why like footnotes being mentioned was a very uh I don't know. It, it was I was happy to see it, but uh I was very um what's the word? Surprised. <laughs> yeah, like well here's what I look at. I look at turned out a punk as being a party where everyone's invited to, right? Sure. Turn out of punk footnotes is the bedroom upstairs where people are locked away doing the cool drugs. <laughs> sure. And by drugs, I mean talking about records on discogs. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, that's awesome. So thank you very much for that. And uh, yep, that's a pat on our own backs. Yeah, the link was posted to the Facebook too for anyone who wants to share in our glory. So yeah, there you go. If you want to, if you want to get into that, get into that. Um, also, I guess we need to uh, uh, also sh- mention that we do have a Facebook page, Turn Out a Punk, uh, facebook.com slash Turn Out a Punk. And there's also Turn Out a Punk.tumblr.com as well, which is uh, a place that you can find stuff that we put up, like videos that we're talking about or, or flyers or whatever. All sorts of stuff will be up on there. And so check those things out if you would like to see visual aids for this podcast. Makes it seem really dirty when you say that sort of stuff. <laughs> no, I don't think so. I think you were just going there. Um, but let's uh, – I should, guess we should move on to other things now that we've patted ourselves on the back too much. Sure. <laughs> what, uh, do you want the news item or what, are we moving on to the mailbag? Uh, I guess like another news item. If we have another news item. 
Well, we have it here. It was just a, our Norwegian correspondent uh, sent us an interesting link here, which has a bunch of documentaries, which we will link on those uh, aforementioned sources. But it's titled 40 Years of Punk, and it has a whole bunch of just different, um, you know, whatever, subsections of that category, which had, deal with different things like Australian punk and post-punk and Malcolm McLaren and vice versa. And there's a whole bunch of things. So it's um, – sorry, this isn't documentaries. It's articles related to these things that sort of go in depth about all this there's a listening you can listen to episodes of you know whatever talk based on all that so we'll link all this stuff up too but he just yeah, this uh, is awesome yeah there's a ton of stuff ton of it so um, yeah i don't even know where to begin on it but it's of course it has like uh you know the picture of the ramones to start it off but there's a whole bunch of other you know stuff that goes a little deeper as you look on yeah, there's definitely like, you know, and 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 I like I got to say ABC and a lot of the Australian stuff that they do about music. Like what's that what's that TV show? Rage? I don't know, so, man. Someone's going to write it. It's called Rage, I think. And I think like Alexa on Fire even hosted it once. But you like watch this channel, Chris, and you'll be like sitting there and all of a sudden like a fucking X video will come on. And I'm not talking about Los Angeles X. I'm talking about <laughs> yeah. Australia. You're talking X. about aspirations, yeah. I'm talking about aspirations. Gotcha. I'm talking about I don't want to go out. Um, or like Colored Balls or like The Saints or like some other incredibly awesome band that I'd never heard of. It's like, yeah, it's, it's, it's uh, I don't know, it's neat that a country celebrates its music, music stuff like coming out of punk, you know, because we don't do it in Canada. Yeah, you're right. We've we've sort of talked about this before in previous episodes of that idea too. But yeah, agreed. I think yeah. though, I will say, I think that's a country that sort of the age of uh, whatever people being uh, very minded to look for obscurity, things like that. And maybe this isn't as obscure there, but certainly here, I think people are are more um, whatever uh, enthusiastic about that stuff now because of getting access to these things and knowing where to look. Whereas say 10, 15 years, it wouldn't have been as easy for some of that stuff. I don't know. I think there's always been like a, a constant kind of hearkening back, you know, like they, they talk about the saints and radio Birdman in the way that you'd hear the American music press talk about the Ramones, you know, but certainly not the way the Canadian music press talks about teenage head. <laughs> no, agreed. Absolutely agreed there. No debate yeah. whatsoever. I just mean for me, like some of the, some of the bands that I've become familiar with over the years. Yeah. Are not things that I would have even known to look at, you know, again, 15 years ago or something. But yeah, like the bigger ones, yeah, definitely those were always there. Certainly Radio Birdman, Saints, things like that, but mm -hmm. sort of the other little ones. But yeah, very cool. Um, there's also a book mentioned there, which kind of actually talks to your point, um, which is it's called Pig City. Um, and again, our, the same person sent that in. Our Norwegian correspondent sends in Cal one thing. Sends yeah. in, right? Yeah, sends in amazing stuff. Really amazing, amazing stuff. stuff. But uh, it's uh, Andrew uh, Stafford is the author. It's Pig City, and it's about Brisbane uh, punk, more or less. And uh, so that's another interesting book based on all the book stuff we've been mentioning lately. Yeah, because it's crazy. Like Brisbane is is like the like I don't know the low key punk capital of Australia. And I know people would be like, "That's no, that's not true." But there's like so many incredible bands that come from there in the first wave. Like you know the Saints. You know, oh yeah, it says the go-betweens too, but like also like uh, Razor. And so it, it's, yeah, fucking Brisbane's amazing. Yeah. So this book, which apparently was released in 2006, so I'm assuming you don't have this, Damien. No. 
no. Because I believe you probably would have mentioned it if you had <laughs> just yep. now. It's but fun. anyway. I should have bought this when I was in Australia. Like, it's one of those things that, you know, if I had known that it, this had existed, it would have given me something to read at all those airports. <laughs> there you go. But either way, it's nothing new, but I just thought it was interesting to mention on the backs of all those other things we were kind of talking about there. Absolutely. Thank you very much, Cal, for sending that in. Um, again, it is, uh, yeah, a book I got to order. Fuck. Another one, Chris. <laughs> I came back from LA with like, you know, as we talked about last week on the show, like a suitcase full of books basically. And there's still like another half dozen that I'm like, I got to buy that. Yeah, it is crazy. The Keith Morris autobiography is pretty nuts. <laughs> you finally got through it. I'm like, I'm like halfway through right now because I've had to kind of do a lot of work recently. Um, and, but it is whoosh. <laughs> It is a it is a crazy read. I'd like I almost want you to have him back on just to interview him about the book. I want to just interview. Yeah, I would love to have him back on by himself solo, and just like now that I've read the book, just like you know, go deep about some of the stuff that I'm like, oh, what about this point? What about this point? I'm you know? sure that's doable. Yeah, I, well, you know, uh, you know, maybe <laughs> not. Maybe he doesn't want it. Maybe he's like, I wrote a fucking book. I don't want to have to do this podcast now. <laughs> okay, well, either way. You know, maybe that's why he passed me off, foisted me off onto the insanity that was the whole flag band instead of <laughs> doing it one on one like I had hoped. <laughs> I think his intentions were good. I'm not sure if it executed as well as it would have been expected to. Yeah. Yeah, it executed well, but in a way that no one had hoped it would. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's move on to the next item. Uh, I don't have my glasses today, Chris, so I've now magnified this font to like 200. Just, so just mailbag time. That was everything for sort of the opening. Okay, so mailbag. Uh, do you want to take this first one? Sure, yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, uh, listener Kurt wrote in. Uh, subject was in reference to the Brick Smith footnote uh, episode. And uh, he said, listening to that episode, he had a couple items to add. Bennington College was in, uh, sorry, is in Vermont, and so brackets, so very close to New York City. Um, and number two, bands that could be considered hard edge new wave, uh, besides the previously mentioned U2 or Echo and the Bunnymen. And he gives a list here, some of which I was familiar with, obviously, or we're very familiar with, but uh, The Alarm, The Pretenders, Gang of Four, Boomtown Rats, In Excess, Midnight Oil, The Police, your favorite, Damien, mm -hmm. uh, Love and Rockets, and Pill. And then he also mentions all these bands have great guitar-centric sound that puts them apart from the normal, quote-unquote, new wave sounds of bands like Flock of Seagulls, Culture Club, Duran Duran, Human League, Joe Jackson, or B-52s. I kind of take exception to the B-52s. I would, I would take exception to – I would say that like these bands, like Human League, Joe Jackson, the B-52s, I would, I would argue are like more punk than the police in excess <laughs> – and and probably the alarm or Boomtown Rats certainly. I think yeah, there's debatable part. I think Gang of Four is a great mention. I think Gang um, of Four is a really yeah, definitely, definitely. And they Love would, and Rockets is pretty good yeah, too. Yeah, hundred percent. Boomtown Rats he, don't like Mondays. <laughs> I get what he's getting at here. I just thought it was neat that uh, he separated the idea, and I liked it because this isn't really you know certainly I like some of these bands, but I don't really. It's not my four forte entirely. So uh, sort of breaking it down. I think the B-52s are, are – yeah, I'm with you though. I think B-52s are certainly more punk than the police in my estimation. Yeah, like I would say that they've got more of a – and a Joe Jackson, like it's it's obviously pop music that he was doing, like uh, a real power poppy kind of eh, – less power even than, than power pop. Uh, but 
I still think it's more guitar driven than yeah, the police, which is you know definitely a guitar driven band. But I don't know that first single with the other guy on guitar. Is it the other guy on guitar? You're talking the police right now? Yeah, the first police single. Yeah, I don't. I, I'm not a huge police guy either, so I don't know the first. Single the first singles, it, it's got like a harder edge vibe. You know, it's like Platinum Blonde's first single isn't very gotcha. reflective of the rest of the repertoire. Yeah, in the same sort of way, but ah, yeah, this is a really you know I think the whole concept of hard edge new wave is is interesting and in like you know what bands <laughs> what bands were like true new wave versus what bands were just cashing in on the trend yeah i think the first three in the latter column he mentions like flock of seagulls culture club duran duran yes i think that's like atypically what people think of when they think of like new wave stuff mm-hmm. um so like so there, obviously there's some other stuff that is a little harder edge than that obviously but uh anyway i just like this email i like the breakdown very cool uh thank you for writing in i'm sure yes thank you <laughs> someone else will take on this point and uh they'll send in their list of other hard edge bands that are new wave <laughs> at some point uh ne- moving on to the next email mikey k writes in multiple singers and faith void not the store We'll get to that in a second, though. I've had a few uh, bands come to mind today to add to the bands with multiple singers debate. The few notable second or more singers that I could think of are Shai Halu. The Chad Gilbert stuff is probably my favorite, but I thought that Within Blood 3 tempered. Ill tempered. Oh, yeah. <laughs> is a really strong album, too. Uh, all. Uh, all three of all singers bring something cool to the table. St. Vitus, their quintessential album, Born Too Late, was with the second singer, Wino. Gallows, all their, their new album is kind of out there. No Dis on Wade. And that, that was me. He didn't write No Dis on Wade. I'm putting that, that was in there. Edit, editor's note. Yeah. Editor's note. Editor's note there. And also, uh, Double Negatives, later stuff with Cameron rips really hard. Outside of that, I was curious as to where you two stand on your preferred side of the Faith Void split. I know this is kind of the most cl- uh, basic classic split in hardcore, but I think the side that one prefers says a lot about their taste in hardcore. I'm firmly in the void camp. I love the show and would love to hear your all thoughts. Well, thank you so much, Mikey, for writing in. Uh, did you see Shia Lude when they came through with Chad singing on that first run? I don't think I ever saw the first run. I saw them pretty late, so I don't know which singer it was that I saw. I saw them in like... Oh, 2000 it was late it was like 2004 maybe or mm-hmm. five even some mm-hmm. some yeah it was like a bizarre show but uh no i don't think i ever saw the, the original singer that i'm aware of they played who's emma okay. but it was the same night that nobody's played so i went to see the nobodies because i had seen them the night before in montreal you saw shy little... or you saw the nobodies the night before shy okay you okay I took my little cousin Garland, who now plays in No Joy, or did play in No Joy. I don't think he's playing in the band right now. Um, and uh, yeah, it was like one of his first shows. Uh, so I definitely have a soft spot for that record. I remember uh, uh, Chris Ritchie, um, who a name that will mean something to some of you, uh, coming into Mods and Rockers, the radio show I used to do with Sandy, and playing the Shy Halud record on the air when it just come out. That was on like the Crisis Records, right? That Revelation side label. I think we'll probably have to go to the the resource, but yeah, they had. I can't remember all the labels like that they were on or whatever. I'll look it up right now, though. Um, uh, but I think it was all like Rev, like in the early early wave of stuff, right? 
No, you're right. The original stuff was Crisis, which, yeah, is the sub-label. And then Trust Kill, oh, no, that's a split. Oh, you're right. Then, yeah, Rev Rev in the early, mid-2000s. Mm-hmm. Huh. So, yeah, what? I would have seen them in that early 2000s, I believe. Yeah. Uh, like, But, yeah, that's a, that's a good a good one. I think, like, a lot of people uh, probably have a favorite singer in that band. I think all, like, do we ever talk about all in this debate at all in the Descendants? I don't. I probably just mentioned in passing, but we never like dissected it. But yeah, I don't. Uh, I don't know if again, that counts because it's got different names, so it's like a different band. Yeah, it's it's just it's a funny distinction this sort of uh, <laughs> this category because it it fall. There's so many little nuanced things which change the debate slightly depending on your preference. So yeah. I don't know. Yeah, uh, Saint Vitus. Yeah, I would agree. Wino's kind of like the singer in that band. When people think about uh, it. I don't know if I know that record, weirdly enough. That's a killer I, I, record. Let me see, though. I know by cover. I have, like, what was the one he said, Born Too Late? Yeah, I don't have that one. I only have the later, like, a couple of the later records. But, yeah. So I don't know which singer is which. I don't know a lot about the member things of that band either. Um. Yeah, like, I'm not, I'm not like, I've got a bunch of records by him. But I would say, yeah, Wino's definitely the quintessential singer. Uh, Gallows, yeah, like, I saw them with both, I toured with both lineups of this band, and, and both were awesome in their own ways, like, uh, I think Wade was, you know, a front person that's more in kind of keeping with the way I interact with the audience, you know, like, keeping it friendly, but, my God, some of those shows with Frank singing it were some of the most intense, uh, <laughs> interaction between singer and audience I've ever seen, and I have definitely been on the wrong end of audience interactions myself as a singer <laughs> but like he had he had no fear of of anyone and it was yeah something insane to watch yeah so the i've, I've never seen the band in either context so you're the only one that has experience on this one mm-hmm. but uh, obviously we know one of the singers though so uh, you know, yeah. I don't want to brag, Chris, but I actually, you know, know two of the singers. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're cooler. You're cooler than hey, me, as I always hey. say. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, speaking of a band that we both know, because we've definitely seen. Oh, well, actually, have you seen the second lineup of Double Negative or just the first one? Ah, that's another good one. I don't think I have. I think I only saw them around when that first LP came out. Yeah, which is my God, what an Great. unbelievable band! Yeah, agreed. I, I don't ever. I don't know if I ever saw them with the with the Cameron singing. I definitely saw them with you know both lineups as far as like Brian being in the band and Brian being out of the band. Um, but I don't know if I saw them with the other singer without Kevin singing. Yeah, you got me too. I don't know that, but that first LP. So yeah, in around two thousand seven, the LP is called "The Wonderful and Frightening World of Double Negative." It looks like a Swans record. And it's fantastic. Yeah, and I, Daydream Nation is also amazing. Their second record. True. Yeah, that's correct. The All one word, which is amazing too. <laughs> yes, um, but no, I don't. I like again. I I'm, I I only saw them whenever they. Play, I guess it would have been the the fucked up weekend is probably the only time I've ever seen them. Yeah, I think they were supposed to come up for a Not Dead Yet show, but like something happened with passports and there was some issue, and that's why I think uh, they had a lineup change. Shortly thereafter, yeah, I'm mistaken. Um, but yeah, they—I don't know—I I didn't hear. I kind of guess. I guess I don't have that 2013 seven-inch hits. 
Yeah, I don't have them either. I remember like the looks of all these records, like the Hardcore Confusion Volume One to whatever three, four, and all that. But I don't have. I think the only ones I have that I have that first LP, and I have the maybe that the seven inch that came out just after. But I don't have anything else. I have like but, the first two of it, but I don't have this third one. I don't know where. What did they do? Did they record anything with Cameron singing? I don't know. You got me here. I like again. This is all news to me. I wasn't aware they had any member changes. Even you said Brian's not even in the later era. No, Brian wasn't in it past uh, 2013, maybe 12. Okay. I remember we played the first show that he didn't play in the band. Wow. Like fucked up late in North Carolina. Huh. It was, it was uh, a little awkward. I think everyone would admit that <laughs> in 2016. <laughs> um, but, uh, but yeah, like once again, like one of my favorite bands. Oh my God. Do I, did I love this band? Do I love this band? Yeah, well, when I saw them, in the, at least with the first lineup, I thought they were excellent. So I don't, I don't have any uh, tales from the latter, but I'm sure they're just fine. Yeah, and like a true kind of you know North Carolina hardcore supergroup. Yep, totally. Yeah, like, but uh, but the pressing question here, which we've never gotten before, is the end of this email. What is the? Let me get back to it. <laughs> oh yes. Outside of that, I was curious as to where you two stand on your preferred side of the faith void split. Chris, yeah. where do you stand? I don't think there's any debate. I think for yeah. once, you and I are going to be completely in uh, in cahoots on this one, and uh, I'm fully void, no question. Yeah. I was going to say, like, I don't know if this was that controversial, because I don't know too many people that are like, faith on the faith void split. And I love faith, but it's just like that void side is like... yeah. It's like one of those one-sided splits, in my opinion, almost. And yeah, I, it is weird because it, if that faith was maybe split with a number of other bands, it wouldn't be that. But yeah, that void side is such a beast; it's hard to uh, contend with. Yeah, like I love, and I, once again, I cannot stress enough: I love that faith record. I love that band. You know, I think they're great. But that that split, it's like I don't know. It's like that's the problem with the split record. If you have one band that's just like totally at the height of their powers and you have another band on that other side that's like you know good it's just going to drown out that goodness <laughs> yes and i think for whatever reason time has been a lot more kind to void understandably because they're such like an amazing band but i think that the you know void void are definitely the more invoked band over the last like 10 15 years yeah certainly i would agree at least um, even just aesthetically like you see the 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 cross motif on different things and you know it's been like sort of uh spoofed and all that stuff so yeah but um, great band great band all right let's uh yeah great great email thank you very much for that mikey again uh let's move on to dave martin's uh <laughs> contribution to the show dave martin of course is a, a good friend of mine uh though you would not get that sense from some of his emails uh, correcting me on stuff. And uh, he's also a great contributor to the show, and we love him very much. And thus continues the ongoing debate of does Sonic Youth count as having three singers? Yes. Chris, do you want to take this one? Sure, yeah, yeah. The subject was clarification of a clarification. He says, so, okay, so Sonic Youth, Lee versus Thurston versus Kim. I'm saying that doesn't count because it's a different issue. The, that issue is bands with multiple songwriters slash vocalists. In this case, Sonic Youth singers were singing the songs that they wrote. But what I thought Damien was initially talking about was something like Dag Nasty, where you have 
Same songs recorded and released with different vocalists, or Black Flag, songs with Dez and Henry singing. It's, uh, it isn't like you've got that version of Eric's Trip with Kim singing to directly compare. Uh, even with a band like Black Sabbath. Oh, one second. I'm just going to cut you off right there. But you do have, Dave, the version <laughs> of Doctor's Orders with Kim singing and Thurston singing. Am I correct on that one, Dave? <laughs> Uh, so you mentioned the Sabbath connection uh, and that how it doesn't work either. There's only a later, um, I believe, live record he mentions here with Dio doing some of the Aussie era stuff. Um, and he goes on to mention um, maybe a small category, much more fun, something like Sonic Youth or Fugazi because those two are, are too subjective with something like Black Flag or Dag Nasty. You have multiple recordings with different singers to compare and contrast. While still subjective, it at least gives you more of a solid basis for comparison. Harrison. So that was uh, it was just the, the like like the subject mentions a clarification on the clarification from weeks past. But uh, Dave is great, and everything he writes to us, I think, is phenomenal. So I was very happy to read this. Yeah, very as well. I'm very happy to always find debate in it. I think you're right. You know, it's hard to say when you don't have <laughs> the same people doing the songs to compare them, but. Uh, you know, we do have that. We do have that one example in Sonic Youth. <laughs> you know, and if they hadn't, if they hadn't kept Lee down, maybe we'd have more <laughs> examples of Lee doing some other songs. True, uh, but I, you know, it's it is, you know, I think that's two debates we have going on right now, which is dance <laughs> with multiple songwriters, which is the best songwriter, which is like an amazing debate to have because you could have it about uh, like Husker Du, you could have it about so many bands, like. You know, like Descendants. Like, who's the best songwriter in the Descendants? Agreed. I don't know who their songwriters are because I'm not a Descendants guy, but I'm sure you would know the specifics of yeah, that. Yeah, there's a, there's a, you know, like they, they all kind of wrote songs, right? So you can, you have a kind of like, I think that's another debate, like bands with multiple songwriters. <laughs> like, who's the best songwriter in each of these bands? Uh, maybe let's not go down that one right now. I think you just started it regardless. I started but, it. <laughs> let's go on. I started it. Okay, let's uh, move on um, to the next email, I guess. But thank you, Dave, very much, as always. Uh, so this is from Greg H. Uh, some follow-ups. Hey, guys, I had a few things to chime in on in regards to some topics that have been brought up in the last couple of footnotes. I was unaware of the 80s Pittsburgh venue, The Foundry, until it was mentioned in the Bricks footnote with Half-Life opening for the Afghan Whigs, which is a really weird pairing. I asked around and found a September 1988 calendar, similar to the ones you guys talked about, which is attached uh, courtesy of local homestead recording artist Weird Paul uh, Petrosky. Nothing much to note on it. <laughs> it's trying to true. There's not, it's not as fascinating as the last one, but it's still cool to see. I initially thought that it was located in Pittsburgh's Strip District. It would have been in the same building as other legendary venues such as Metro, Pull, uh, and Club Zoo. But it turns out it was in a building of its own, now housing a construction company. Have you seen that website, Chris? Uh, I think it's a Google thing where you can overlay famous punk landmarks and what they are now. I've... I haven't seen that, but it maybe it relates to it is the the houses one I've seen, where it's like the famous punk uh, people went through all like the what you would correspond to and like yeah. these records yeah. and all the, all the houses. But no, I haven't seen that. Oh, uh, that's I think that's a, it's a, it's like that with you can do it on a Google on a Google map. But anyway, uh, and also second, a punk book that has gone unmentioned so far is All Ages Reflections on Straight Edge by Beth Lahicki, put out by Revelation. It has a lot of pretty cool interviews in it with such figureheads as Mike Judge, Ray Kaplan, and many other hardcore celebs from the Rev catalog. 
Um, the anecdote with the Charles Bronson address going to Manny, uh, Mustafi of Race Trader's House was hilarious. I just wanted to throw out there that Race Trader is doing a reunion in Chicago on October 22nd alongside of, well, this is a bill, Earth Mover, Life's Young and Dead, and Through and Through, if that's anyone's thing. Oh, my God, would that be cool to see Earth Mover? <laughs> yeah, that's definitely a Toronto favorite. That's my Guitar Wolf, Chris. Of a certain era, yes. I've never gotten to see him. That's my guitar wolf, Chris. We got to go to this thing. You and me are driving down. I think I'm in England, though. But I, I think yeah, I don't drive home either. Uh, I was very glad to see Shia Lute get some love in regards to the multiple vocalist conversations. Do we talk about them already? Yeah, two people. It's been a big thing this week. Wow, I, I just like, but, but did like, but do we talk about them in like a previous episode? We did. They they did get a mention, I think, from uh, someone writing in last week. But yeah, uh, people are all over that one. Man, that must be like. A big band, like for people, as far as like you know, with different eras. Like I always just associate them with kind of the the modern era and and, and sort of that Chad era. But I guess they had like so many you know moments of different. Yeah, singers. totally. Well, we've had enough people write in about them, so absolutely, yeah. it'd be cool to get someone from that band on the show. Uh, yeah. I was uh, they had a Zayo connection, right? I that I don't know. But that probably. was the big deal back then. It's like, I think they're a religious band. They might have a connection to a band on Tooth and Nail. <laughs> uh, the 90s. Uh, but that is a crazy bill to see with, uh, oh my God, I'm going back to the bill anyway. Uh, Last paragraph. Lastly, uh, I missed the show. Lastly, I missed the show opportunity to add to the conversation. In March 2002, Wesley Willis was playing a show in downtown Pittsburgh the same night my high school punk band had a show in the suburbs. I was bummed about missing it, but thought I would catch him again, and unfortunately, Wesley passed away that August. Um, bummer. Yeah, that's a very much a bummer, but thank you for that email. So much there, and uh, Greg, and yeah, Chris, let's talk about that Rev book. I got I, lost. I got lost thinking about how cool that show is. And I keep coming back to how cool that show is. <laughs> There's a few things to talk about here. I guess first, have you ever seen Wesley Willis live? Never, never. I did. It's great. Yeah, he was a. Uh, he was definitely like one of those performers that, you know, like people loved. Like, wh- where where did you see him? I saw him at the old Elmo upstairs. It was fantastic. Yeah. And it's weird because much music, uh, mm-hmm. much talked about, mm-hmm. uh, had footage of it too, which they aired on new music. And I'm in the footage because I'm at like I was front and center. Wow! Unintentionally on it, I had people mentioning after the fact, but no one will ever see that now. But <laughs> but no. uh, yeah, it was great. He just like you know he was you know Wesley Willis is Wesley Willis. He pretty much played the same backing track and just saying different things but it was very amusing and it was awesome yeah yeah he had a breakout hit around that time with Alanis Morissette right yeah it was exactly it was that and I believe who put that out didn't Alternative Tentacles put that out I think I think Alternative Tentacles did but then it got scooped up by a major okay I interviewed uh, Jello actually for much music and I believe he talked about it in my interview which is also something that will now never be seen again <laughs> It's amazing the shit that place is sitting on. Oh, yeah, my God. Crazy. Like a complete multi-camera black flag show from the mid-80s. Like a dead Kennedy show with multi-cameras. Like, you know, Jesus and Mary Chain riot footage. Like, oh, my God. You know what? I was totally wrong. There is definitely something on Alternative Tentacles, I believe. But yeah. the record I'm thinking of is actually on American. Yeah, that he got scooped up. 
Yeah. He got scooped up by um, a major label, and Jello talked about it in that interview, saying he he really advised him not to do it at the time. Um, yeah. But but uh, he ended up going back later, it looks like. But either way, yeah. So I saw him in that era. It was cool. But uh, So I just thought that story was kind of funny that someone else had, had well, had a show, had a whatever, missing him story. And it was memorable. So I, I do, you know, yeah, you missed out a bit there. But it wasn't like missing the Ramones to me, I would say. Yeah, like I think that missing the Ramones is is the one for me too that stands out. Like bands that I could have seen and just didn't put the effort in. You know? Yeah, but that's like so what was the, you were gonna. Sorry, you were gonna mention something about that earlier. What was the oh the the book? We got to go back to that red book. But uh, you know, once again, let's talk once more. Earth Mover playing. <laughs> <laughs> what about him? Uh, that that like the hardest. I think that is the hardest intro ever on the live tracks on their CDs when they uh when they're like when they're like this song's about killing rapists and there's nothing wrong with that. <laughs> <laughs> well, they're you know, they're that they're, they're a kind of a band that existed at a time and uh I don't know if that kind of a band exists anymore. No, but they're like one of the few bands that could play with catharsis and also play with Cold as Life. That is true. There, I mean, Earth Mover's funny. That's just because when you encounter someone that really likes this band, they love this band. (laughs) And we've known a few collectively people who have really liked this band. Yes. Yeah, I never had a chance to ever see them. I can't believe you haven't. I thought for sure you would have. No, I like Blood Pack played here a lot, which was uh, Andy Dempsey's other band. And then he played in The Swarm. I saw him play in The Swarm. And, of course, uh, (laughs) Ruination. Um, but, uh, uh, long time listeners will understand that. Go on. Yeah. But, but at the same time, it's a, uh, no, I never got to see. That's the one that got away. And I think I was supposed to see him one time, but we were late or maybe I'm stealing Mike's story. Um, where Mike was supposed (laughs) to see him one time and he was late. (laughs) Blood pack were great. Uh, That's all I'm going to say on that one. But yeah, I never saw earth mover either. I don't, I never saw any of those bands about ruin nation actually. Now I think about it. Uh, you never saw blood Pact. No, never did. Oh, okay. Yeah, they used to play. They played records, though, yeah. I remember one time they showed up, and it was like a blizzard. <laughs> so the show got canceled, but they still showed up. That's Ooh, a, yeah, it's, rough. It's a rough, uh, rough, rough show, um, definitely. <laughs> uh, but I guess, uh, yeah, let's uh, move on. Race Trader, though. Did you see them when they played Toronto? Never know. And that's, the, that's a very infamous band, I think, to a lot of people nowadays. I can't believe they're like – I looked this up because I wanted to make sure that this information was correct, and this is correct. They are playing again, but they also had not played too long ago. I think they played a few years ago or something as well. Yeah, um, like so- they have the like you know they've got that Fallout Boy connection, so they've kind of become like you know a, uh, a, a like have now a special place in the modern era. Yeah, I guess I just wasn't aware. Like he's not in these reformed lineups though, do is he? I don't think so because he's busy playing with uh, Chris Callahan. Oh, he's in that group. That's right. Sect. Yeah. I forgot yeah, he's about in the that. Sect. Ah, so, maybe he is. Maybe he's jumping back into the stool for these ones. I think Pete Wentz roadied for him. Right, that was the deal. So, yeah, I don't. I just remember hearing some connection. I don't remember what, specifically what it was. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, We're ignoring the book. We're ignoring the the all. We got to get to this rev book. We got to well, book. just really quick. Not- yeah, I, I have it. You- you have it, right? I have it too. Yeah, um, and and I knew one person. I'm not going to say who it was, 
a, tr- <laughs> a prominent Toronto hardcore uh, person who used to carry it around like it was the fucking Bible, and he was a priest. <laughs> <laughs> but he would he would read it over and over and over. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that is amazing. Yeah, it was incredible. Um, I I I love that book when it came out. I thought it was awesome. I think. You this know, is now, the book with the infamous Dan O'Mahony interview, I believe. What's it? Is it? What's the Dan O'Mahony interview? Why is that one so sketchy? I think it's in this. Well, it's not that it's sketchy or something. Yeah. It's just that it's the one that made everyone disillusioned on, or or his disillusionment bummed everyone out. If I'm mis- if uh, I'm not mistaken, I remember there was also a crazy interview with him in Bizarre magazine that Andy Capper did, talking about the dark side of straight edge that bummed me out at the time. Yeah, it's he, he is interviewed in this page one fifteen, but I don't uh, I don't have a great recollection of it. But I, if I'm not mistaken, that was a bit of a narrative at the time when this book came out. Being he was one of the people that sort of had a I don't know a, a different perspective that people weren't feeling or whatever. But uh, yeah, interesting book. I think probably every uh, coming of age straight edger has probably read it or is familiar with it at the very least. I would imagine. Mm-hmm. I'm curious as to how many of these they've sold, to be perfectly honest. Yeah, I would wonder, because it was at a time when people were still buying books. It was pre-Kindle. So, you know, there's definitely, I can think of at least 50 copies that were sold in Toronto. <laughs> True. You know, it had an amazing interview with Mike Judge. And that was like when Mike Judge was still like completely MIA, you know, pre-documentary, obviously, and all that. So I remember that being like, Oh, like a, a glimpse at one of the great lost uh, straight edge warriors. Yeah, I've got to I got to reread this because I don't remember some of these interviews. Yeah, anyway, yeah, cool ones. And I think yeah, you're right. Now knowing more, I think I'd get a little more out of reading that book too. So well, like, and seeing the second lives, like the reunion circuit now, and kind of seeing people's opinions in like the late '90s as opposed to now would be an interesting thing to like weigh mm-hmm. against where they are. Mm-hmm. Anyway, cool. Yeah, it's a neat book. We're familiar with it. Um, I guess essential if you're a straight edger would be how I would say it. But I don't know if a lot of people who aren't straight edge would get much out of it. That's my take on it. If you were straight edge, you get a lot out of it because most of the stories are about breaking edge. <laughs> like a lot of them. That's a good point. Sorry, I was taking a drink as you said that. I almost spit it out. <laughs> but yeah, good point. Um, but yeah, let's move on, I guess, quickly before we do this foundry thing. Yeah, it's a really different, you know, uh, car sickness. The return of the legendary men of car sickness. So car sickness reunion. Oh, the pleasure heads, which was, uh, which um, Justin Sane from anti-flag played in really but that couldn't have been i don't know how old he is but this is from what 88 or 87 yeah but he played in like 89 or 90 or something yeah like uh i I, dave martin was telling me about it and they have this like incredible song that's on a compilation and yeah it's supposed to be like unbelievable i've been looking for that comp actually but there you go with the uh, heretics and the bone of contention they played with. But we'll huh. put this up too on the Tumblr, yeah, yeah, totally and Facebook. You can tell they were this towards the end of it. They weren't doing very many shows coming up. Yeah, with the, the shorter, much shorter calendar. Yeah, much shorter calendar. You know, but well, Special Ed's going to be coming back on October the first. So that was something <laughs> to look forward to. <laughs> I love that you you referenced that a second time with that venue, uh, <laughs> with this time without any confusion to the rapper. Um, okay, so do I take this next one, or are you going to take it? You take it. 
Who read what? Okay, so Ramones and more from Jeff. Listening to your latest footnotes, uh, a few thoughts when talking about the Ramones. Uh, I think my two biggest regrets are Nirvana and Joe Strummer and the Mascaleros, both uh, with the same thoughts that you guys had, oh, they'll be around, and uh, and basically they weren't. Uh, obviously, eventually, so you missed out. Uh, I love The Damned, but like The Clash, Musically Safe European Home is one hell of a song. Um, so I guess that's in reference to our Clash versus... Or, or not loving the clash as some people in this program yeah. don't. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, ever since, uh, he says, I try to see bands before they go. Who else is topping on your darn I miss them list? A, that's to you and I, Damien. And, yeah. uh, oh, I have to see them list. For instance, I made a point to see 79 year old Dick Dale last year and damn, uh, he still shreds. And he also mentions here that he did get to see the Ramones. This is like a humble brag now. Um, they played my college campus uc san diego in a small ballroom the opening band was frank black uh, on what i believe was his first tour post pixies it was the cj markey lineup of the ramones uh, and they were a tight solid machine we caught them in a on a good night three songs in my girlfriend yelled in my ear i don't like this can we go (laughs) i replied that she could go that led to our breakup it was well worth it uh, my first punk concert uh, might be controversial. It was seeing Billy Idol when he was 14 years old. And he's basically mentioning, like, where do we put Billy Idol in the reference of punk rock? Uh, and cites Generation X, of course, and also that Steve Jones played on a Generation X, uh, which I wasn't aware of, a, a version of Dancing With Myself. I didn't know that. Well, yeah, because Billy Idol was like one of the – what are they called? The Bromley contingent? Was that it? Like the group of people that used to kind of hang around the Sex Pistols? Like Susie Sue, yeah, yeah, uh, Shane McGowan. Um, God, like that was – talk about a crew of people that went on to do in, incredible things as far as music goes or at least have impact. But like, you know, I, I'll, Chris, you didn't mention this, but they also uh, – uh, right, Jeff also writes in that the opening band for Billy Idol that night was The Cult. So oh, yeah, pardon me. Sorry, I missed the bracket there. Yeah, yeah. But if we're going to include uh, Generation X and, and Billy Idol, I think we got to include the cult because of like Southern Death Cult and then Death there Cult. There you go. Yeah. Um, as well. His, his point of contention here, though, is that the, he, he gets the punk cred, but then also his later guitarist, Steve Stevens, borders on L.A. hair metal, mm-hmm. which he feels is not punk. So uh, because, he was, uh, because he was in the first wave MTV bands, people put him in new wave, but I say no. So I guess that's a bit of a new topic. <laughs> yeah, Billy <laughs> Idol. Work. Uh, How feel of Billy Idol? <laughs> I got you know. I got he gets a lifetime pass. Well, like you know, not not for everything, obviously, but like certainly <laughs> for musical indiscretions because he was he was there at at the you know the British inception of of the actual movement. Yeah, totally. I mean, Generation X. I think for most people is. Uh, most people that I know that like punk like Generation X from experience, so I'm down mm-hmm. with that. I don't really, I'm not too, don't really feel either way about his solo stuff. I never really, I mean, I'm familiar with it, but I never really cared all that much. But Generation X was great. Yeah, like Generation X, you know, goes on, obviously half becomes Billy Idol, the other half becomes Empire. So here's this band that, you know, influences yeah like i say a lot of the glam metal stuff later on is part of that kind of thing on one side but on the other side is like the main influence on all that shit that comes out of dc yeah uh, in that kind of 
post, you know, a revolution summer kind of era or during yeah. that revolution summer era is all inspired by that band empire. So yeah, generation X to me is, is one of the, uh, one of the most interesting bands. Yeah. Like that, uh, I still want an original of that empire record. I've never, uh, never, me too. Me you too. don't have it either. We, I know no. we know someone who has one, but I thought you would have had one for sure. No, no. It's like, you know, it's like a frustratingly priced record. It's like, it's like, I think it's like 16 or in general. I don't know what it's like. I don't even know what's at now, but I remember it always being around like a $50 record, you know? And so you just wouldn't see it. And it wasn't like expensive enough where you'd be like, all right, I'm going to trade all this shit for this thing and finally get it. <laughs> but at the same time, it wasn't like you're just going to stumble upon it. Yeah, fair enough. What is it at now? I, gotta, I don't know. Uh, I've it. never, I've never seen one in person to like barter for one. But uh, I've never looked on it online. That's yeah. a good question. Let's, God, Chris, this is what this is the problem with the show. Every time we have one of these <laughs> moments, we get to the up. bottom of it. When we get to the bottom of it, yeah. Yeah, uh, I'm trying to trying to see where. Can you find the Empire listing? There's a lot that comes up when you look up. Empire. Yeah, this is my problem right now. I'm trying to. Um, I can't. What is that record called? Something sound expensive. Sound, I think it's called, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Just look on that. I heard it sounded. It's Empire Seven. Oh yeah, okay, yeah, I got it now here too. So let's see what an original goes for. The listeners are riveted. Ah, thirty bucks. Well, from thirty dollars. So, uh, yeah, I don't know. 30, I wonder what. Oh, they also had a single too. Yeah, there's one that's I think overlisted for like almost ninety bucks or oh, there's a few that are close to that. There's some thirty dollar ones too. I don't really know. Anyway, yeah. Anyway, all right. Well, now people have heard our discog shopping. <laughs> I wish I could. I really wish yeah, I, I wish could. Same here. One day, buddy. One day. <laughs> this will just be a show anyway. where people hear us be like, "We're buying that. We're buying that." Hey, one day, hopefully, my friend, hopefully. Oh, my um, great email, though, Jeff. Thank you. Yes, thank you for that. On uh, to the next short one. Bands with two different singers. My gosh. To keep this <laughs> controversial topic going, I'm going to add Social Unrest to the list of bands with more than one singer. Uh, their early records are pretty killer, and then they switch singers on their 1986 LP, Before the Wall. Not a bad record by any means, but the dude sounds like Darby Crash. And that band gets darker and more mature sounding. Anyways, making room for Youth 7 Inches Sick, and in my opinion, a foundation of Bay Area punk sound with the song Rush Hour. Having spent too much time thinking about this, I will now try and have a productive weekend. Well, thank you very much for that email, Jason. <laughs> uh, yeah, Social Unrest, definitely. Uh, I love that early, early stuff, but, you know, I would be lying if I said that was the stuff of theirs that I got into first. I got into the, like... The later stuff because of, as you say, that barrier sound stuff. Like they were associated with the swinging utters, and because of that, yep. that was good enough for me. <laughs> yeah, I only have the. I probably still have them too. I only had the those collection CDs from like the mid nineties. I never had any original records. Who put that out? Was it like Doctor Strange or something? The original one, like the collections, were New Red Archives. New Red Archives. Sorry, that yeah, right. Yeah. That, that makes a lot more sense. But I knew it was like one of those labels where you're like. Oh, that label put out so much killer reissue stuff. New Red yeah. Archives. Um, and also a two-line filler record, too. So, what great taste. 
<laughs> yeah, but it's the the complete studio recordings, volume one and two, in the mid nineties. They did it. I'm it, guessing they're out of print, probably. Yeah, probably. Unfortunately, um, but I'm. You know what? CDs are dear. <laughs> yeah, fortunately, you can find it now everywhere else. Um, <laughs> True, but a CD store. Uh, they're yeah, they're fantastic. The early singles are incredible. Um, that first seven inches, my God, what a what an amazing record! But that's a good example of one. Uh, and it also led me to. I was kind of thinking. Uh, you know, kind of Bay Area as well, Fang. You know, certainly a very controversial second singer. Um, but they had a different singer on that first 7-inch. Yeah, I remember you actually mentioned that to me, and I wasn't aware of that either. Because I think most people, because of the, the sort of the craziness that surround that group, the, the whatever, the sensationalization gets the the headline but mm-hmm. and of course that's the probably that whatever the land shark lp is probably the most known thing i would say they probably did yeah and uh yeah so i i, I don't think i've heard that first single to be honest um the first single yeah it's 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 pretty uh pretty awesome it's like definitely totally different but you know land shark and the money will roll right in are probably you know the, the classic sales yeah that's that the one <laughs> yeah uh, um but i guess we should move on to the next one Totally. Um, what do we got here? Uh, sorry, I got to flip over. Where are we at? Uh, Matt oh, S. Future guests. Uh, future guests. Multiple lead singers. Uh, if you <laughs> people love this topic, <laughs> if you can call it a punk connection, I've read somewhere that Joe Rogan. I included this one for you, Damien, because you love these connections. Yes, I do. I, I've read somewhere that Joe Rogan is related to Gerard and Mikey. Mikey Way of My Chemical Romance. Yeah, the brothers. I don't know. I don't know how much of a, uh, uh, a like a direct punk connection. Although I think we uncovered that a week or two ago. The Ray but, Capo, uh, the Ray Capo connection. <laughs> true, exactly. On the topic of multiple singers, Shy Halud mentioned again. I don't even. We don't even need to really no, go through no. it. But he mentions that uh, someone in it was in Morning Again and, and all that, and that we should or you uh, should Whoa. have that guest. Yeah, well, I had no idea that. Damien from Asrin's Rust and all those like culture and morning again was a singer in, of Shai Halud before Chad. I didn't know they had a singer before Chad. That is a very interesting thing there to find out. Uh, cool. All right. Well, thanks Matt, for, the, for the email. Yes. Thank you very much for that. Um, this is from the final one. This is you. Whew, finish strong uh, from <laughs> uh, Tyler C who writes in with footnotes, David Cross, the cramps and garbage fail kids had to share some punk nerddom with a few people I communicate uh, with who would appreciate it. This also ties in thematically to the comic book references in the cross interview. Number one, bad music for bad people. Artist at bad at the Baltimore comic con. I stumbled across the artist, Stefan, uh, Blickenstaff who did the infamous rockabilly zombie for the album with the cramps album in places like LA or New York. This is kind of thing is more common, but he was humble dude from a sleepy mountain town outside the city. Frederick, who would come in to see the cramps and give him his artwork. He showed me a pic of him with Lux, Ivy, and the rest of the gang. Said Lux was really sweet and soft-spoken. It was a great and unexpected treat. So, yeah, like, I love that artwork. Like, I, God, I wonder if David Blickenstaff did any other sort of stuff, too. Yeah, I don't know. Like, there, what is that record called with the cover? What is that cover. Bad music for bad people. Is that the one that has the yellow one? one with the zombie thing on the cover? Oh That's my god! Now we're failing. I have it up here, but I can't find it for some stupid reason. Yeah, I know. I mean, yeah, you're right because it's a comp thing. I was looking up the uh, yeah. If that's the one he's talking about, that's a very classic cover for me. Yeah, yeah. It's like uh, it's 
I think that must be it, right? Because that's like the only rock. Well, let's see. He describes it as what? Rockabilly zombie or something? Yeah. What does he say here? Yeah, that's it must be that because all the rest of the covers are pictures for the most part. Yeah, no, because he he's got like his own uh he's got his own like art thing where he's selling reimagined a reimagined version of it too. Oh, cool. Um, but yeah, the back of it's cool. Yeah, that's a good looking record. Um but the uh I just thought that was a neat story in terms of meeting I I like that idea of people who've done classic art stuff. I actually wish you'd uh maybe get an interview of some of these people. I had Brian Walsby on who did uh you know, You're right, actually, good point. You uh yeah, that is cool. that is true. I would love to have like Raymond Pettibon on. Obviously Mad Mark Root has passed away, but there's there's a bunch of artists. Uh gosh, I can't believe I'm forgetting her name right now. It's just like blanked on me, but who did the Circle Jerks uh moshing punk from San Diego. Oh god. Anyway. I never knew who did that. You got me. I know I know I've seen it obviously, but I don't know who did that. She also I think did the Circle Jerks flyer where it's like the nun in front of the classroom. It's like a great drawing. It looks like something out of Mad Magazine from, you know, the the olden days. But huh, cool. amazing art. But there's a lot of people I would love to have on. Like, I think, you know, the, the graphic artists in punk are kind of like the – they get the uh, the shorter end of the stick a lot of times. Yeah, agreed. Agreed. Just listen to Raymond Pettibon's stories about dealing with his brother and his brother's label. <laughs> <laughs> but I digress. <laughs> but we digress. Uh, so we have now finished an epic mailbag. It only took us an hour and 15 minutes to do so. Thank you, everyone, for sending in your stuff. Chris, where do they send in that stuff? They want to send us more stuff like that. Yes, uh, we can be reached at turnedoutapunkfootnotes at gmail.com. And uh, as you've heard over the last hour, this is the kind of stuff we get. And uh, we really like all of that so keep sending it um especially any obscurity and like kind of whatever flyers and things like that is uh really the upper alley yeah nerdy connections between bands um yeah you know all that kind of stuff uh, we love it we love it we love talking about that stuff by the way do we ever talk about someone hit me up on twitter with this thing and i tried to find the tweet and i can't find it but like someone wrote in to talk about how mike kelly from i hate god was at one point the singer for man is a bastard do we talk huh. about this on the show? I know. And I've never even heard that before. Yeah, apparently he got he went out there to sing in the band and then just got up and left one morning. Couldn't do it. Couldn't Wow. Couldn't hack it in that in that uptight city known as San Francisco or Berkeley, California or no, where they're living at the time, probably like Pomona. I don't know. It's gotta be somewhere in the bay, I would think, but I, I don't know. I think it was Pomona. So I think it's down further. But anyway, they uh but yeah, he was in that band. Someone wrote that in. So and anything like that, someone that was in a weird band, some obscure <laughs> thing. That's the kind of shit we love around here. Anyway. True. Very true. Uh, on to an amazing episode because uh, we have uh, this week on the show um, someone who, my gosh, uh, you know, like as we said off the top, you know, big, someone that both Chris and I are big fans of the work of. Yeah, agreed. I, it's the thing that I – <clears throat> his, he's the kind of uh, whatever actor comedian however you want to categorize him i think if, i like him in every single thing i've ever seen him in yeah i'm trying to think of things i don't like you know sometimes he'll have jokes that aren't you know necessarily my sense of humor as with every comedian i think uh you know in every person but like but you're right like i'm trying to think of things that i'm like oh god like yeah that, no, that he, role. and i haven't seen like you mentioned the 
whatever. Uh, Alvin the Chipmunks. Yeah, like that. I don't know that. He redeems it though. Like that's the thing is he's the guy yeah. who redeems that sort of stuff when you'd watch it. I I just mean though because of your situation, you tend to see that kind of thing more than I would. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I haven't seen him in a lot of those sorts of things. But in terms of like. You know, all of his shows I have, like, we listed at the top. Obviously, Arrested Development, he's excellent in. And Mr. Show is essential, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. To me, that's the American Kids in the Hall. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, or vice versa, however you want to categorize it. If no, well, like, uh, yeah, a little bit. I think you're right. Like, that, you know, Scott Thompson talks about it, and I brought it up to David on this episode. Like, he says that's the birth of the American sort of mainstream satire. I think he says yeah. the birth of American satire, which I don't know if I agree with, but... You know, uh, but I think it's like certainly the mainstream satire. It's almost like Monty Python was to England, Kids in the Hall was to Canada, and yeah, like Mr. Show. People would say Saturday Night Live, but you know, Mr. Show. Well, I think Saturday Night Live is just a bit of a different animal. I think Saturday Night Live deserves its own, you know, whatever. Uh, It deserves to be revered in a different way, but I think it's more. um, Pardon me. Mr. Show is more akin to something like uh, Kids in the Hall rather than SNL. Yeah. Whatever, yeah. yeah. Anyway, but uh, even Todd Margaret, his other show is excellent, uh, which I don't know if you've seen. Is great. I love it. I, I saw – actually, I, I think I only saw the – they made two seasons, right? I believe so. – they definitely made two. I want to say they might have made three. I can't remember. I think I've only seen the first season, so i got to go back and watch the rest of it. Yeah, but, yeah. it's great. He, uh, yeah, like he's someone who you know has, has constantly kind of – done weird and interesting things like i didn't even break out his imdb to kind of go through it like as when sometimes i'll have actors on or, or people in entertainment on i'll kind of like look through things that they've been involved in and just kind of try and make weird connections there but i didn't even have to do it this time there was just so much to kind of just go off of just talking to him there's like a sheet of questions i didn't even get to with them but you know well hopefully know. like he you think you'll have him on again at some point probably i hope <laughs> well i think uh yeah he's he definitely is a guy that you would have a lot to ask yeah so, like yeah. He, I, you know all these people like i think there's way more to go into with them yeah there's a ton i'm just looking up his stuff here it's like there's things i didn't remember on here either yeah no he definitely I, he's someone who i really you know i'm surprised never played in a band but i guess he got into comedy so early yeah it is kind of i always think that's bizarre when people are so um whatever affiliated with that like when he you mentioned that video with rupaul earlier he <laughs> sort of talks about like the amount that he saw bands and he was around that sort of thing that is kind of bizarre that he never played in anything yeah again, he might not just he just might not have been into it but i just yeah i think that's weird well it's weird because in the interview he even talks about how much you know he even he in his words it was to an embarrassing degree about how he tried to ingratiate himself to people in music at different times. <laughs> True. So it's bizarre he never actually ended up being in a group. Yet. Yeah, because he's talented too. Like he can sing like in a way that, you know, a, a lot of people can't. As Yeah, good point. You know, watch the Run Ronnie Run episode of Mr. Show when he busts into that <laughs> choral vocal at the end. Oh, that's great. Um, what are your what are your feelings on that movie, by the way? I you know, they hate it. They fucking hate it. They wrote an article for Chunklet magazine. And that's the other thing I gotta give a huge shout out to Henry Owens and Chunklet. I think yeah. that's where I first saw that RuPaul clip. And he's definitely someone that, you know, Chunklet magazine, if you get your hands on a copy, Brian Walsby, a lot of people that have been, you know, on this show or talked about on the show were contributors or involved in it. But yeah, like that they him and Bob Odenkirk wrote a whole article for that about how their movie was one of the worst movies ever. Or one yeah, of the most it, overrated movies ever. 
it's great, but it also talks about how that it sort of got ruined in the editing process or whatever, things like that. So it's sort of like this interesting, almost like a bizarro take on like a, a band doing a major label jump and getting mm-hmm. screwed over or whatever, but like the, the Hollywood version of that. There's some like amazing stuff in that movie, but like, yeah, like there's deleted scenes on the DVD that are incredible. That would be so good if they had brought them in, but like, I don't know, like the weird Al parody. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I loathe LA. Um, (laughs) It definitely, when you watch it back, it doesn't play well. Like you can tell there's something off, but it's, it's sort of, I'm curious if it hadn't been touched, if they could have pulled it together where it would have been like a really strong movie. Oh, I think they definitely could have. Like, whether or not people would have gotten it. Like, I think, yeah. like, if you see there's, like, stuff in it where they, like, break the fourth wall and there's, like, a scene. You know that scene where he's at the yoga retreat? I haven't watched it in so long, so I can't remember, okay. they, like, like a lot, but yeah. It's an I, incredible I, sequence when he's at the yoga retreat with Jeff Goldblum and uh, at rehab. I think it's a rehab yoga thing. And in that scene, in, in the one of the outtakes, he actually gets up, starts complaining about his life as Ronnie Dobbs, and then ends up leaving the the shot and walking into the set and, you know, showing all – or leaving the set, sorry, and walking into the 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 camera and, and walking out there and dealing with all the grips and complaining about the movie and stuff. And it's like, oh, this would have been a really kind of <laughs> surreal scene if they had left it the set. But, True. I think I vaguely think I recall something like that now that you say it. But yeah, yeah, I think they would have. I think that without if it hadn't been fucked up in the editing suite, there would have been amazing stuff like John Stamos and Rebecca uh, Rebecca Romaine Stamos. Was that her name? Is that her name? Yeah, when they were married. Or when whatever. they were married, that was I think when he's like, "Kiss, come on, give him a kiss, sweetie." No, nah, like you mean it. <laughs> like you mean it. <laughs> oh, there's some amazing stuff in that movie. It's it's a good one, man. It, it's weird because like I still think it's good, but you're right. It it sort of pales in comparison to like the the uh, Mister Show stuff. Pardon me. Yeah, there's some stuff like that. God, that show's so good. But this show is not about the Mister Show. It is about one part of Mister Show, David Cross. Yeah. Uh, so I guess we've kind of blathered on about David Cross enough already. We should kind of get into this week's episode. Where should we start with this one, Chris? Well, where I want to start is because I don't know a lot about it, and I'm wondering if you know more specifics, and I think the listeners probably would be interested. But the RuPaul band connection thing that's mm-hmm. in that video, mm-hmm. was there ever like a recording? Like did they ever record? What were they called? Like I can't seem to find anything about it. RuPaul and the U-Hauls, and I think uh, that's the second band. There's a great article um, written by the guitar player of that band who I believe – might be the person David Cross spoke about who has since passed away, but I'm not 100% sure of that. If they're not passed away, I apologize. Um, but, it, like, yeah, I don't think there's anything recorded. And that's RuPaul's second band, according to this. Oh, wow. Um, so there was, like, another band. I think there there must be demos. You know, there's I think there's a video or something online that I watched one time. Yeah, it's like the only thing I'd ever – well, you had mentioned to me things in passing when this interview was kind of coming up, but – I'd seen the – eventually saw that video like you mentioned, the whatever with David Cross in it. But I'm just always like whenever you see these sorts of things, I'm always wondering, okay, well, is there – you know, did they do a record? Did they put up something? I've never heard tell of this, so I'm always curious. But I just wanted to make sure in case there was. But I I couldn't find anything online when I scoured. Well, there's a – actually, no, look here. RuPaul Sex Freak is like an 85 new wave punk electronic synth record that goes for like 86 bucks on Discogs now. But that's RuPaul's punk record. Huh, I'm seeing this now too. That's funny. Yeah. 
Yeah, 85, Funtone USA, Electronic and Rock, it's listed as. And there's another one, like RuPaul is Star Booty, original motion picture soundtrack from on Funtone USA as well. Huh, so there's a bunch of things from that sort of. Yeah, so, but this would have been, by mid-80s, this is like, it seems like that would have been a New York sort of thing. So all the, wow, there's even a video for that. Yeah, I've seen that video online. That was the thing I saw. So I'm like, oh, maybe there's a recording. But yeah, there is. Huh. Um, Either way, I was just trying to, I don't know, if you knew anything about it, I was curious, or if you knew there was a record or whatever. So No, the, I guess there is. And my God, do I want this really bad. <laughs> it does look cool, too. Yeah, it looks fucking sick. Add to want list. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah. Either way, what was your uh, your first point here before we digressed on? No, that? no. Well, I think I, we talked more about that too. Like, um, I think, like, I think that that connection, that whole scene, is just like I don't know. It's interesting because, like, like David was talking about, this is something that is a hundred percent informed by punk and inspired by punk that was going on in that scene that he was a part of. And, and kind of the energy, but it's not necessarily like at all in that classic stereotype of what is punk, you know, like as far as mohawks and leather jackets. But at the same time, it's actually far more punk than 90% of the stuff because it's like a bunch of people, you know, accepting who they are, be it, you know, LGBTQ or questioning at the time or or just like, you know, uh, someone who didn't fit in with the mainstream in a place like Atlanta where – my God, if you watch that Sex Pistols footage of that show there, it doesn't look like <laughs> yeah, a very true. accepting place to be kind of different at that time. In, yeah, in, in certain places, I imagine. It probably wasn't very cool to be different in a lot of places back then. But um, Yes. But David, I think the other aspect is it's. I think there's something that's distinctly subversive about a lot of that sort of artists who do this kind of thing, which is, is more powerful in hindsight even, given mm-hmm. the time and, and wherever they were from. Mm-hmm. Oh, a hundred percent. Like, uh, well, like, like, you know, like to do, to do any sort of thing like this at any point is, you know, like to take a stand and just be like, nah, I don't want to be like my peers is always like a brave move to do, but you know, it's gotten a little bit easier as time has gone on. I mean, not, not necessarily, I can't speak about, you know, as far as coming out with sexuality and things like that. But I mean, like as far as just being different, I think it's gotten a little bit easier. Yeah. Time has gone yeah. On. The, the envelope is pushed forward by things like this happening. So yeah. when, when you're at the earlier advent, of that, yeah. So, uh, I guess like, uh, I don't know anything else you want well, to talk about? Well, I'm glad that we first. found something about it cause I was looking, I couldn't really find anything, but I wasn't looking in the way you looked just off RuPaul. I was looking, just trying to find the group name or what have you. Um, yeah, I don't know. I thought the Elvis Costello mentioned again, SNL, we've talked about it a bunch. I was actually trying to find uh, this too, just watch it cause I don't know if I've ever seen it, but, uh, yeah, it's just funny. Yeah, like I, I don't. I'm sure the I've Elvis seen it Costello at some one, point, but I didn't. I haven't rewatched it to kind of like watch it again, sort of thing. But because uh, I could find the audio, but I couldn't find the footage. That's that's like the people breaking with a format of Saturday Night Live clip that they like. You know, that's the one that they seem to have played at different points, being like, "Oh yeah, like people, you know, like Elvis Costello changing the song." But they definitely never play that fear clip. <laughs> and they never play. I think it's Rage Against Machine where they burned an American flag or something. Am I wrong on that one? Or they maybe they threw it. 
They threw an American flag into that dude that was running for president's office or, so, or yeah. dressing room or something. I, I don't remember, remember that, but it sounds about right. <laughs> yeah, but like that Elvis Costello one is like, you know, it's breaking the rules, but within the parameters that's <laughs> true for Saturday Night Live history, I think. I think, but I think that uh, him mentioning that's interesting, but he's also of a generation that seems to cite like either the Elvis Costello or the Devo thing. Yeah, B-52s um, are the other band that people seem to have said they saw. Yeah, on true. There. And those three are um, great. Mentions. But yeah, that, that, yeah. No, go on. You were going. <laughs> no, 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 no. Sorry. No, I was just, I was thinking like, you're right. Like those are, uh, those are kind of like the things that keep coming up as being one of those of people that are a certain age. That was the gateway. These being exposed to these bands on Saturday Night Live. Um, yeah, no, I gotta, I gotta check out. Yeah, I gotta rewatch that clip because it's been a while since I've seen it. It was in those rock and roll documentaries. I know that for a while. Yeah, it's. I think I've seen it. I don't know if it. You know how they did those box sets with all the performances? Is I'm assuming it's on that, mm-hmm. but I don't. I'm not sure. I guess we gotta talk about like the research, uh, film threat and answer. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that was not where I was expecting you were going with this, but okay. Well, I guess. <laughs> what do you want to? We could talk about class. No, it doesn't matter to me. I don't. I don't have we? Have we cl- no, I don't think class I we have before. before? <laughs> sure. Okay, maybe we should go to that first. Um, I have. Have you seen it, Chris? Have, but again, I have not seen it in a very long time. There used to be uh, a video rental store in my uh, area here that had one copy, and because it had that like the punk aesthetic, it was always these one of these movies that I wanted to see. And I don't know if it was like always out or something, but I remember just not being able to get it forever and ever and ever. And then finally, uh, at the time, a friend of mine got it or whatever, and uh, we watched it. And I remember at the time being. Dis- disappointed when we were young but again i was watching it probably in i don't know years after it came out certainly not in 82 um so it was sort of like the things in it were cheesier than they may have well they might have always been cheesy to be fair but uh cheesier in like probably the 90s like or like maybe 1990 yeah like i think that movie sorry go on i think i know i think it'd be more fun for you now than it would be then yeah i haven't watched it it like i I think I, I think I, I borrowed it from someone in Toronto. I think in the last like five years, but again, I can't remember. I watched it, and I do not straight up don't remember much about it at all. I remember the school and like that whole terrorizing thing, but I I can't remember that many specifics. But uh, the person was adamant. I was like, "Yeah, I gotta watch." It. And they're like, "Yeah, no." And they lent it to me, and I did watch it. But again, I just out of sight, out of mind. I don't know. Nothing is sticking with me. It's got Teenage Head in it, which is you know amazing bonus points for me. Um, also has Michael J. Fox, which is pretty fucking cool. But that it was it was the inspiration behind fucked up second performance at MTV. <laughs> that's right. That's right. You did mention that. We wanted we wanted to to recreate that scene so badly. <laughs> is the motorcycle in that scene? Yep. So that's why that happened. Ah. Yep. That's why we brought a I, motorcycle to the bathroom. I always wondered about that. That's why Ben that, drew that circle around his eye with makeup. Yeah, that makes sense. But the uh, the motorcycle was the bit I never understood why you guys did that. Yeah, and now I do. <coughs> Sorry. Remember there's that scene where the guy rides the motorcycle into the bathroom. 
And yeah, I, again, vaguely, but I just I never put two and two together with that whole thing when you guys did it. Yep. No, that was the inspiration. The terrible, terrible inspiration. Um, <laughs> but that is an amazing movie. You haven't seen it. One of the best pieces of punk punk exploitation that is out there. Um, and it has real punks in it, in the form of T.H. And, Head. And it was the whole thing filmed in Toronto, or just that one scene inside the school? Kind I think of thing? the whole thing, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, you you mentioned that that to him, but I never. Yeah, I was aware of it, but I wasn't. I don't know. I never knew anything about where it was filmed or anything like that. That high school is t- is Central Tech. Um, ah, at at just at Bloor, just south of Bathurst. Um, so that it, I think the rest was probably filmed here. I can't imagine they did you know a second location. And I think the BFGs might be extras in that movie, if I'm not mistaken, as well. Yeah, there's some interesting. If you look up the IMDb on it, there's some. There's a few photos. The thing that's kind of cool is there's different, um, at least two different posters for it, and they're both awesome. Yeah. <laughs> like, or actually, there's three, but one looks like a modern, like whatever adaptation that's probably maybe for a DVD or something. But like the the old school, probably one that was hung up in the theater. Well, both ones that I've seen are pretty awesome, actually. Yeah, one like the teaching the gun. It's awesome. It's funny that it was made in 1982. I never knew that. I always thought it was made in 1984. <laughs> yeah. I assume that as well. But that, but then again, it's the idea that it's the future. Classic 80s move of like two years from now, it's going to be roving gangs of wild punks in school. I love this one, which is like uh, the teachers at Lincoln High have a very dangerous problem. They're, They're students. students. And he's got the yeah. gun. That's the one I'm talking about. We gotta, uh, we'll link that up somewhere. That's a great poster. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Someone take me to the Hollywood Canteen and see if they have that there. <laughs> totally. And uh, no one has spoofed this for a flyer yet, so now it will be done. There you yep. go. Yeah. Well, the other one's way more punk. Like, this one just reads like it's a you're going to see a juvenile delinquent movie. The actual poster for the movie or the main sort of box art that's been used where it's like just like four punks standing there. Yeah. Not either of them are really reflective of the actual movie itself. <laughs> True. <laughs> you know. That one I like better because the tagline's better than that. We are the future and nothing can stop us. I think that's that's the more terrifying uh whatever punk sort of thing. But the te- the this one's funnier because the teacher's just holding a gun at the students. Yeah, it's just like, <laughs> uh would not fly in the present day. No, definitely not made in the 2000s era of anything. No. Yeah. Um, but it, it, it is, it is one of those movies that still holds up for me. I know maybe not for Chris, but for me, I just don't remember it. I'm sure it's fine. I just, I don't, nothing sticks with me from it that since I've seen it, but yeah, I don't know. It's fine. You know, it, it is what it is. It's like, uh, I think he compared it to what the, the chips thing and the yeah Quincy episode. It's, it, it's in that category. For yeah. Sure. It's definitely in that category, but it does have. Teenage Head, which puts it in a category above for me. <laughs> True, and I, I'll totally give you that. 100%. There's a there's a version of the record that was put out on other people's music, the debut record, but they did the different mix of it. Um, that has a sticker on it that says the band in class of 1984. Nice, yeah. So like a promo sticker spoof, like like dropping that they're in the movie. Cool. Yep. Yeah, yeah. But I don't know how many copies of that records that sold. You know, <laughs> <laughs> oh shit that's the band i gotta buy this nice um but let's move on now chris to your yes point. okay um let's do boy oh boy 
Well, first of all, I think I just want to mention one thing. He talked about uh, he was talking about the idea of like the I uh, basically how selling out doesn't exist anymore. And I just thought that whole point when he ranted on was amazing, and I agree with him a thousand percent. As he was saying it, I was like, this is out of my mind. Just the idea of like how it's it's impossible to be a like to sell out now because it doesn't exist, and for those that are able to do it, do it because you know you're not granted that wish anymore, largely. Um, anyway, uh, what was I going to look at here? So, I <laughs> the American authors thing was funny. I <laughs> I don't know, man. Um, where to go from here? Music, comedy, kinship. I don't know. What do you, you got a point? I don't have anything specifically I want to talk about off here. I'm good to riff on anything. Well, why don't you pick something, Chris? Because I know which one you're dancing around, buddy. You just want me to say it? <laughs> Go ahead. Pick All right, it. fuck it. Let's talk about research, film threat, and answer me. I have no problem. I like all that stuff. Yeah, what are we doing here? All right, so let's talk about these things. Like uh, Once again, these are things that are largely uh, kind of, unfortunately, in some cases, not talked about. In other cases, fortunately, not very much talked about. Um Number one, I want to say that Film Threat right now has a Kickstarter, I think, or they're doing some sort of thing to try and save the magazine. So if you do have some money and would like to contribute to probably the most important publication for independent cinema, maybe? I don't know. Is that overstating it? But, like, certainly at a time. I think it's uh, – it's if not, it's certainly one of. So, yeah, I think it's it's fair to say yeah. that. It, it certainly exposed the world to Todd Phillips first with his work Hated. That was the place that distributed Hated when it first came out and distributed like a lot of a lot of cool things now. You know, I think they probably distributed the research of videos to bring it full circle. Um or not full circle, I guess semi circle, but to what we're gonna be talking about next, which doesn't bring it circle at all. Anyway, Chris, uh it is it is one of those magazines that I love. I, I've kept every copy of Film Threat that I ever got, and I think I have almost a complete run. That's wild. I always remember hearing tell. I never, I never collected it or anything. I always knew the name of it, but it's um, one of the magazines, much like Big Brother, which I'd also kind of put in this category as one of the hugely sort of influential magazines that's kind of forgotten now um, by a large part of the world. Um, was bought by Larry Flint. And uh, who, Film Threat was? Yeah, Film Threat and Big Brother. I knew Big Brother was, but I wasn't where Film Threat was also. Yeah. That's wild. Yeah, if I'm not – no, I'm 90%, 99% sure because I think that's Hustler Publications that put out the last couple run of it. And yeah, like once again, kind of unfortunately like Big Brother didn't necessarily run it the best. Well, the funny thing about Big Brother is if you think about that, it sort of bursts all this other crazy thing. Oh, God, yeah. No, like I, that's what I'm saying. I, I'd lump Big Brother in with research, uh, this, a Film Threat, and, and Answer Me as these like, you know, kind of four magazines that definitely had some, you know, I'm not going to pretend that all this content was cool. <laughs> like, you know, some of this shit is, is, you know, pretty horrific and ghastly. Certainly, in the case of one of these magazines, um, <laughs> but uh, but like these are magazines that yeah, like the influence is fucking enormous. You're right, absolutely, and I think like the film threat one again because I didn't really, um, I've never, I've never really looked through the magazine or anything like that. So, I, and I never subscribed to it, so I don't have a lot of personal experience with the magazine directly. But you know, I was aware of seeing things like are mentioned in other things or or what have you. So yeah. The uh, to talk about that Kickstarter really quick. It says that it's titled "Save," sorry, "Save Film Threat" by Chris Gore, and there's 19 days remaining. Uh, whenever this drops, it'll probably be about whatever 
uh, maybe 15 or 16 days. But um, anyway, yeah, so they're doing a, a fundraiser for that. You are correct. But yeah, Amazing Magazine. Um, the research ones, I don't own any of those either, but I'm familiar with them. I'm assuming you do, though. I've got a couple issues of research magazine in like – you know, like certainly that, you know, is, 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 uh, you know, like a very important magazine, but I think it was for me, the books that really kind of, kind of did it like for me, like the research, you know, it got incredibly strange music volume one and two. Yeah. Uh, and the zine book are, uh, you know, one of my, two of my most, three of my most read books, I'd say as, as a, uh, as like constant, uh, bathroom reading. Yeah, it's uh, the, the I don't know. For me, it's like these were. Again, I'm. I suppose I don't. I don't know. I can't speak for you on this, but I re, I know these, but they were. I think a bit more pivotal to people slightly older than us. But I found them cooler because they just had things in it that, uh, like I like sort of the like industrial music links to things like William Burroughs stuff or mm-hmm. whatever. And they always had that kind of thing. The guide to industrial culture. Yeah, it? exactly. Yeah. I don't know if they – did the research do that? Yeah, there's the research one. guide to industrial culture. Okay, because there's a few of those books and I always get fog in who did what. But yeah, yeah. so anyway, there, there's a ton of stuff. But yeah, all this stuff is great. It's just kind of weird because it's sort of um, – research is the one for me which is a little more uh, – I don't know if innocuous is the right word. But, but certainly more than the other mentions. Uh, I don't – I mean they still have an operational – website here that i'm looking at mm-hmm. research researchpubs.com i don't know how like i don't know if it's just because like the magazine store as we knew it before or whatever like alternative bookstores aren't as prevalent or something but i don't i just don't ever see these kind of things like the last time i came across anything like this was record shopping with you and a, and a record store had just some random books and i bought uh you know one related to this but yeah it's just funny like i don't know like i i I wish I owned all this stuff. I don't own it, but yeah, I don't. Uh, I don't ever see it in stores anywhere. Mm-hmm. Like that, that that aren't like you know whatever, like a Borders or a Chapters. Maybe you can order it in there. I don't even know. It's kind of like the idea, like the AK Press stuff. You would only see that, you know, sort of via certain distributions, and you you typically wouldn't find it elsewhere. At least from my experience. So this kind of falls in that category, but this is more like the art centric. I don't know whatever outsider stuff. Uh, yeah, it isn't necessarily politically motivated, so to speak. Yeah, like oh, I don't know the re- like there is some like you know, it's that weird politics, you know, where it's. Kind of- <laughs> well, I think this is more like conspiracy related stuff, or just like weird. Yeah, I yeah, totally. And the industrial cultural handbook. Now that you say this, yeah, this cover, like I totally know. Yeah, there's a, I, also no. the pranks. Do you ever read the research pranks yeah, thing? I've never read it, but yeah, like oh. pranks. It's got a great cover. Yeah, the aesthetic for these ma- for these books were fantastic, in my opinion. They also did a uh, video series, um, like pranks. Yeah, they did a research pranks video. That's uh, it got it has an incredible interview with Frank discussion from the feeders, and an equally amazing interview with Joe Coleman. Um, yes, and did they? Because uh, I always get confused, but he's got to be in these books somewhere. But he's in the pranks did, one definitely. Okay, did they also release? because you have some of his art books but did they release those or did someone else no i don't think they did but uh they also um they did put out um a documentary i believe on just joe coleman like the first one 
which is unreal. There's another documentary that Asia Argento was involved in that came in, you know, like more recently, I think like 10 years ago now. Um, so not that recently. Um, but they, they, I think they did the original one back in the eighties. Cool. Do you see they've got a copy of the search of the story here for sale, which is the yeah, like, uh, punk precursor <coughs> to the magazine. But the weird thing here is like the, this, like, what is this? Is this an actual reprint of the, no, I think this is, these are the OGs cause they would, they put them out. Wow. <coughs> back then. Right. That's not too expensive either, which is no. kind of wild. No, especially That's when you look at the copies of Vile magazine, how much Vile ones that are selling are like hundreds of dollars. <laughs> totally. those. Um, I think though you're you're correct. You sort of alluded to this. There's just an aspect of this, maybe for better in some cases. That's sort of uh, come and gone in a, in a way. I think that the certain generation sort of knows this stuff, and maybe people whatever are still hip to it more than I'm aware. But you're pretty much like one of <laughs> like. Maybe four people, five people I know of that <laughs> know anything about any of this stuff. Yeah, it's weird because it's like we like you know the 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 greatest sort of descendant of this sort of you know world that we're talking about is probably one of the most prevalent media companies in the world right now, and that's you know uh, like you know I, obviously someone that employs me as a freelancer, but Vice. Yeah, totally like, agree. Like, uh, that is, you know, Sarush brought up some of these publications on the episode when he's interviewed on the show. And it's amazing that, you know, like how this stuff kind of like, I don't think pre foretells what Vice does because Vice obviously takes it in a, a different place with the aesthetic that they're doing and stuff like that. But like, certainly this is like the birth of looking for kind of content and stories in the margins. Agreed. I think that is the yeah. You summarize that perfectly. I think um, I think for me, what it is is it just yeah. Like now, I think things like you know that everyone takes for granted, like even YouTube or whatever, any kind of like you know, even blog or whatever. It's sort of like a lot of this stuff seeps its way onto there now. So you don't have this. Like for me, I think of this stuff. I think of like VHS, like tape trading, and like. Mm -hmm. stuff like that mm -hmm. like when when finding like some weird footage was such like an enormous deal now it's like so passe to even like think of some of these things in those terms anymore but um it's it, so it just there was a premium on the idea of like being exposed to some of this information and also in turn made it more taboo and made it more whatever perhaps appealing is certainly to my younger sensibilities but um yeah i don't know it's it's weird because, like, I wish I owned all this stuff, though. Like, when I'm looking at it, I've kind of, like, bummed I don't. <laughs> but mm -hmm. at the same time, I'm just realistic going, like, am I ever really going to own, like, this stuff? Like, I don't know. It's, it, but I do like it. The aesthetic's amazing. I think all the stuff that birthed out of it is incredible by and large. But uh, – and, like, you're right. You you are right in saying that the, the primary influence behind, I would argue, that company you mentioned and, and probably some others that we're not really acknowledging – definitely comes from this if not directly like like aping some of these things at least the uh what you would call it the uh sensibilities of the people that were seeking out this kind of stuff are the ones that tended to go on to do the things you're mentioning mm -hmm. and i think also like you know these were the obsessives right and it's like the birth of like the the idea of like going to the obsessive to cover something you know like rather than covering it as a as like you know and they, they did cover some stuff as outsiders but like 
you know, rather than just like looking at it as an outsider observing it, they would try and kind of get inside something or get people that are already inside something to talk about it. Yeah, agreed. I think that's that now when you look at the actual uh, like documentary content of even stuff like Vice is doing, that's to me, that's exactly what this is, but just sort of a modern interpretation or whatever. Yeah, it's so, awesome. Here it is like influencing David Cross. You know, in the, in the, in a very profound way, because he brings it up here as one of the main influences on him, all this sort of stuff, and it's it's uh you know it's it's and it's also influenced you know obviously Todd Phillips has come out of that world and and you know Vice and stuff and it's it's you know these are publications that had maybe five thousand issue print runs at most <laughs> yeah exactly but see it's like that that sort of weird early to mid nineties zine culture even was just so. Like, it was just a different, uh, I don't know, like, there was such a major gravity to it. Like, I couldn't find some of this stuff originally, but I've come across some of these things over the years. But it just had, like, such a big, like, like, like when David Cross is talking about being obsessed with some of these things, like, it really was, like, almost like, instead of being into comics, you got to a certain age, and then that somehow rolled on to, like, getting into this weird, like, outsider zine culture thing or something. That's that was my experience anyway. So I don't know. I'm sort of just <laughs> ranting on. I don't know. I don't know if this is making any sense anymore. But yeah, I'm very, I'm, a, I'm a fan of this stuff. Even this Penny Rimbaud like book here is like man. Like you don't have that, do you? I don't even know this existed. No, I've I've seen it though. It's in a fucking amazing book. Um, but I think also Chris, the thing that if anyone wants to buy you a uh, a present. <laughs> This What's punk, that? The punk value pack is, uh, I think, like <laughs> you couldn't do too, too bad with this one. What is that? I don't even know. You what get you're two looking issues at. of uh, uh, Search and Destroy. You get the two books about zines that they put out, which I tell you are great. And you get their punk 1977 book, punk 77 book, their history of San Francisco punk book. That's that's wow. Like, yeah, if I didn't have those zine books, I would definitely put this on my to order list. I thought this was sold out what it said, but one thing, if you don't own, I think you should eventually show your children when they're adults. (laughs) (laughs) This is the Survival Research Laboratories 23 Photographs uh, book, which is uh, the fact that Holden is so obsessed with robots is perfectly bizarre with that whole thing. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Three people out there will get that reference and no one else will. Yeah, so anyone else, (laughs) you're welcome. Um, but, uh, yeah, I guess, uh, we should, um, move on to the next point. I think you, you brought up that point. So I'm, I, I guess I need to go on another one here. Yes. I was sort of, uh, I was sort of treading water here. Um, cave dogs and prime movers. I don't really know those bands, so I don't have much to say about that. Do you have anything to add on those bands? No, like a uh, prime movers. I was kind of familiar with before cave dogs. I wasn't really familiar. And I kind of checked them out and they have that like mid eighties power pop kind of, like Dramarama, you know that band? Yeah, okay, gotcha. I would yeah. say like in that kind of vein, but like maybe a little more scruffy than that. This, like these kind of bands, it's so funny. Like I'm just looking at their catalog here now, and it's like Capitol Records and Restless Records. Like it's it's funny that like this kind of band can't exist anymore. <laughs> like yeah. in this, it's so insane. Like even you mentioning whatever Dramarama, what was that? They had like that one hit wonder, right? Yeah, yeah. What was the song called? It's like uh, I don't uh, remember. It's like the 
We're the worst, but yeah. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, someone will know. It's good. It's song, late actually. or early, depending on when you're listening to this. <laughs> totally. But uh, yeah, I don't know these bands, but so it's interesting because he said the Cave Dogs was the big deal band of all these. So I had never heard of them at all, but you know, whatever. First thing, 87. Uh, well, whatever. First single, yeah. Step Down on yeah. Trust Records, which is kind of a weird cover to it, but I don't know. It's like that kind of like whatever. That rock, sort of hard rock vibe, I guess. No, it's it's definitely not hard rock. It's like it's almost that indie rock power pop kind of late '80s sound. The problem is, like all these records, I think are hurt by the production. Yeah, I think that that is very well stated too. I agree in uh, some cases for sure. You know, like I think that I would. I can't wait. I actually really want to hear this first single by them because, like, I think that would be probably a little raw, and I think a little more reflective of the sound that I like, but like their other stuff's cool. Like I think the thing that I find interesting is this scene is just so lost to the sands of time almost. So this band, but did he say they eventually came to Boston as well, or they just, you know, he's talking about them touring through. No, they, they, yeah, they were from Boston. I think they, oh, they to, were from Boston. I didn't know if he said they were from Atlanta or not. That's what I was curious. No, I think they maybe they were originally and they moved with them. No, no I part think of Boston's Boston. music. Yeah, it says Boston. Yeah. Sorry, I was, I was in the interview. It almost sounded like they were also, you know, like from Atlanta or something, and made their way as well. But okay, I, I misunderstood that. No, but they did comedy as well too. Oh, okay. You know what this uh, this kind of this stuff reminds me of, you know, like the music I would associate, and I guess because it's also the same time period. With kids in the hall. Yeah, it reminds me of like even looking at the band photo. It reminds me of something like, um, oh, I just had the band in the odds. Well, like the odds, but I'm thinking of other things like like King Missile. Probably sounds totally different. Totally like something like that. that, But like like, you're right. That's like you know, or like you know, and obviously I love this stuff a lot more. But like it reminds me of like you know, shadowy men at a point, like they were shadowy men, obviously is a lot more what I'm into, but like, it's got that vague surf kind of quality of the music at times was at least some of the tracks I was checking out. All right. Uh, and I guess, uh, should that be it? Like, do we have any more to go into? Uh, I think I'm good, man. All right. Well, that is it. We, uh, you know, also lots of best show talk, but we've talked about that a lot in this show. So anyway, thank you everyone for listening. If you want to get in touch with me, you can hit me up on various social media stuff at Left for Damien. Uh, you know, you could also please support this show and all the shows on this little feed by subscribing to this podcast and writing a review if you enjoy it and telling your friends, letting your friends know how much you, uh, like hearing Chris O'Toole and I ramble endlessly about music and records. Uh, and, <laughs> and how do they get in touch with this show specifically, Chris? So turn out a punk footnotes at gmail.com. And that's it. We will see you next week, folks. Oh, yeah. Facebook.com uh, slash turnoutapunk and turnoutapunk.tumblr.com. All right, everyone. Thank you for listening.